What's going on, New City family? How are y'all doing? It's good to be with you. It's an honor and a privilege to share from you from God's Word. I want to thank Ms. Didi, Isaiah, Esther for leading us in worship. That was, and Joel, thank you so much for just blessing us this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am an assistant pastor down in Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Charleston. Um, my lovely and beautiful and amazing wife, Paige, is sitting with her over there, right there. Um, Yes, yes, give it up for her. She's great. Uh, we moved from Maryland last year to South Carolina after growing up our entire lives there. Um, we don't say Maryland, we say Maryland, all right? And uh, my parents are actually first-generation uh, immigrants from South Korea. Uh, so I was born in L.A., we moved to Maryland, and I grew up my entire life there. And God's plan was to just come down here to South Carolina and be with you all today. And so I am so excited to bring to you God's Word I'm excited to share with you my favorite Bible story growing up. See, growing up, because my, my full name is Jonathan, I would ask my mom every night to read me the story of Jonathan and David. Because when you're five years old, the only Bible stories that you're interested in are the ones that have your name in it, all right? And so I was like, Mom, read me the story of Jonathan and David again. And as I grew up and I've studied this passage I've loved this story more and more. The more I've, I've dived into it and looked at it, because it gives us something so powerful. It's the story of these two friends that we wish that we could have. They come from differently, like incredibly different backgrounds. They come from different motivations. They come from different lifestyles. It, it's a story that transcends generations. It's got all the drama that you would want out of a Netflix show. It's got family betrayal. It's got friends marrying each other's sister. It's got fathers trying to kill sons. It's got even Philistines dying. It's like the perfect Old Testament story. And it's the story of answers this question that, that I want us to dive in today. What does it mean to be a church community? What does it mean to covenant with one another? When we use that word covenant, what does even that word mean? How do we live in Christian fellowship, amidst disaster, amidst this difficulty, amidst strife, pandemics, tragedy, how do we live as a Christian community? This is the million-dollar question that we've got going on in our culture right now, right? How do we re-enter back into relationship again? And how do we do that in the church? So I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to go ahead and jump to the very end of the story, the very end of the story. So take out your Bibles, turn, tap, swipe, whatever you want to do. Second Samuel chapter 9, and I'm going to read to you the very end of the story. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, all right? And we're going to talk about how covenant, this word covenant, commits Christ-like community. I'm a pastor. It's got to all be the same letter, right? Covenant commits Christ-like community. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? 
And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's service. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. That's the end of the story. I'm going to explain all that, that, that makes this moment so powerful as we understand this word covenant. But first, can we go to the Lord in prayer? Let's, let's pray to Him. Father, Lord, we pray that Your Word would reveal to us what it means to live in covenant, what it means to live in Christ-like community with each other. Father, we thank You for this, this time where we can explore Your Word to see Jesus, to see ourselves and to understand how to live for you. May your Holy Spirit now be with the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Um, I want to start off by, by kind of talking about how we, we think about community sometimes. How we think about community sometimes. When I was in college, I used to think that community meant two things. Community is people that look like you, or a community is people that do the same things that you do. And so in college, what did I do? I found the Asian American campus ministry, right? And I was like, I've got to just worship with people that look like me, right? And then I also went to an acapella group because I like singing, right? And I was like, I got to find a group of friends that, that sing the way I like to sing. So I was actually the beatboxer for an acapella group back in college. Don't ask me to do that again, all right? It's embarrassing, all right? All that stuff, right? I'll drop a couple bars later. But anyways, right? Um, so I thought this is what community meant, right? People that look like you, people that are of the same age, people of the same interest. That's what community is. But the Bible gives us a much stronger idea of what community looks like, of what fellowship looks like, of what relationship looks like. And that's in this word called covenant. Covenant. And so we're going to discover what this looks like in two people in Scripture, David and Jonathan. And in order to kind of understand our text that we just read in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we got to rewind now to the very beginning of the story. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. And if you look at this, you will notice some very interesting things right here from the jump. You see, this friendship, this covenant friendship begins 
at the end of a really famous story that maybe for those of you who grew up in the church, you, you might have known called David and Goliath. You see, David, the underdog, or so it would seem like the underdog, he's got the Lord on his side, so is he really an underdog, right? He slays Goliath and becomes a national hero. He becomes viral instantly. Everyone's blowing up about David, right? And he's now thrusted from the land which he used to live in, this farm boy, right? And he's now thrust into the king's courts, and he's told to live there. And in there, he doesn't know what's going on now. He doesn't know who to trust. Everyone is clamoring for his attention. Everyone wants to name drop David. Everyone wants to take a selfie with him. Everyone is just enamored by David. David is in the national spotlight. And you know, imagine yourself in David's shoes. Who could you trust? Right? Who's going to be really there for you? He doesn't know if the person is there really to be his friend or to butter him up to just take advantage of him. You see, David's life has been thrust into a state of chaos. What was once so familiar for him, the community that he was in, he now finds himself in a new place, and who do I turn to? How do I live? Many of us might feel the exact same way today. Life has propelled you in a brand new place, in a brand new direction, and now all of a sudden you don't know, where do I belong? Who do I trust? For David, the answer to these questions lies in this relationship with Jonathan. So look at chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. Now as soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. When you look at this word covenant, I need to define this word for you. Because many of us, when we think about community and fellowship, we think about this word called contract. Many of your relationships are contractual relationships. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Right? Many of your relationships, when you go out shopping, are contractual relationships. You hand over money, they give you the product. And we live even in television, this world of sitcoms, where every relationship on these sitcoms is a contractual relationship. Everyone's got a specific role that they need to fill. Now I'm a child of the 90s. Any of you remember the show Living Single at all, right? Oh, yeah. Great. Love that show. It's slept on, right? Um, But like community, friends, like even like big blockbuster movies like The Avengers, right? Everyone's got a very specific role that contractually they have to fulfill, and they're as only as good as the role that they play. But that isn't David and Jonathan's relationship. Their covenantal friendship was formed through the Lord bringing two people together that otherwise would have no business being together. The son of a king, a city boy, right, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, this this sort of brash warrior meets David, this farm boy from a a tribe that that, that is is well known, but yet it seems like his life hasn't amounted to much, this musician. Right? So you've got these two people colliding and coming together. It's like, you know, the bad boys, Old Testament, right? And, and notice, though, when you look at these verses, 
the intensity of their covenantal bonds. It says, once the covenant is made, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. We don't think about relationships like this today, do we? We don't think about it. In fact, the idea of, of, of looking at someone and saying to them, I love you like my own soul, it seems kind of ridiculous. Try it. Look at the person next to you. Look in there without laughing, right? And say, I love you like I love my own soul. Try and do it without laughing. Say, you can't do it. You can't do it, right? All of you guys are all smiling and laughing and all that stuff, right? right? You can't do it. It sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds like there's no way that we could love each other this way. But this is what the word covenant is about. Covenant friendship is not about a convenient fellowship. Covenant friendship is not about a convenient fellowship. All right? Covenantal relationships are deeper than a laundry list of qualities that, that you need to have met in you before you can become friends with someone. Covenant is more than just treating someone as a friend who's in a category that they're supposed to fulfill. Because, you know what, here's the reality of things. When you start treating your relationships on the scale, on this chart of gains and losses, right, you will always find yourself disappointed. Because it will always lead to brokenness because we are all sinners and we will fail each other in relationships. It's only covenantal bonds that we will find true forgiveness, true peace, being knit together as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, if you live your life making relationships by contract, then you will always live in brokenness. But covenants are all about being tied together. This is what God says when he goes to Abraham and he says, I will covenant with you. God ties his own soul to Abraham's. Genesis 15. And you think about the intensity of how God loves us in covenant relationships. He keeps and He remains faithful when we are faithless to Him. Can you imagine if God treated us with a contractual relationship? What that would look like. Do you see? So, covenants are more than contracts. And they're more than convenient contracts. Now let's look at the next part of the story. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. And Saul spoke to Jonathan and his sons, to all the servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on the guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Now, why is Saul hating on David. You see, Saul, Jonathan's father, is starting to get a little jealous of David. David is starting to only become popular, but he marries into the family. He marries Saul's daughter. All right? And now, if you're Jonathan, you can either go in one of two directions. You see, Jonathan had been groomed to be a king his entire life. It was just naturally assumed that he was going to take over the kingdom that Saul had, the king of Israel. But now, all of a sudden, your best friend marries your sister, right, is becoming a popular name. If you're Jonathan, what starts going through your mind right now? 
Do you start to get a little jealous? Do you start doubting your friend's intentions? Do you start thinking to yourself, you know, maybe this covenant thing isn't all what it was cracked up to be. But notice what Jonathan does. Jonathan says, I'm going to remember my covenant. I'm going to look at my friend and I'm going to know that he is for me because we have made this bond together. And even if it means I give up the throne, even if it means that I have to go against my father, who I know is sinning, I will keep my covenant with you. I will keep this. Now, you got to think about this, right? Jonathan is like one bad poison meal away, one bad betrayal of friendship, and yet he still trusts in the covenant bond that he has made. How many of us today, when friendships and relationships get tested, when friendships and relationships get tried, our first instinct is that we just want to run. We just want to pull away. We just want to say, you know what? That church, I knew it. I knew that they were going to do that. I knew I couldn't trust them. And we immediately retract. What would it look like for us as people who remember covenant relationships to lean into the difficulty and say, no matter what happens, I will love you. I will be in this with you. No matter what may go on, Scripture here is showing us that covenant relationships never look to the situations that surround us to determine on whether or not we keep the covenant. Husbands and wives, your spouse's behavior does not dictate whether you are called to love them in covenant. Parents, your child's academic sports success does not dictate whether or not that you are called to encourage or love them or not. No matter what you do it, church members... The difficulties of living in gospel community should not dictate whether or not you are called to demonstrate grace to those who are hurting and in need of compassion and relief, not shame. You know, um, before I, I, I stepped into this role here, I was a youth minister for uh, 17 years. And, you know, you kind of see this, this idea of contractual relationships get a hold in middle school and high school, right? And you see friends who are like, who get jealous of other friends and jealous of what happens with other friends, right? And so this often happens with, with sometimes uh, these, these young girls I was counseling with. They, they'd start saying things like, why is she hanging out with her? She's supposed to be with me. That's my friend, not your friend, right? Um, you know, guys who are, who, who are who, like, yeah, they, they get jealous of each other's success. They're like, he's not all that, right? He's not what he's cracked up to be. And they let circumstances ruin the covenant. They let circumstances ruin the covenant. But Jonathan models here something about the covenant committing. To love when it's not convenient. To love when it's hard. To love even when a friend is looking and acting like such a way that he may, it might seem like they're not even acting like a friend. But Jonathan keeps his promise. This wouldn't be the, the, ne- the only time, though. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 13 to 17. And this time, it would prove incredibly costly for him. 1 Samuel 20, 13 to 17. 
This is Jonathan speaking to David after a second time when Saul tries to seek his life. But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And here we go again. Jonathan made a covenant. With the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemy. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he had loved him as what? As he has loved his own soul. His own soul. Here's the other thing that we need to know about covenants covenants commit like Christ, and that commitment is reaffirmed every single time. Christ who speaks over us and says, no matter how many times you have sinned, I forgive you and I love you. Jonathan is modeling this covenant reaffirmation to David, saying, even if it costs me everything, I still will affirm my love for you as a friend, as a brother, as a sister in Christ. And this is why it is good for us to continually encourage each other on these Sunday mornings? Why is good for us to sing to the Lord again and again and again? Why is good for us to be here or on the live stream worshiping together to reaffirm our covenants for us? And sometimes it just takes that, that face, that reminder of grace from someone that you know in Christ church to uplift your spirits again and remind you of God's love and His goodness and grace, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes it just takes us encouraging one another with no agenda, no, 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 no expectation of, of getting a return or reward, and just simply saying, hey, thank you for serving our church this morning. Thank you for being a part of this community. Hey, thank you for being a part of this church. You encourage me and bless me in so many different ways. Hey, I know it seems like we always fight against each other, but I just want to let you know how much I love you. And especially as your pastor's on break, when he comes back, how shocking would it be if every single one in the church said, hey, pastor, we just love you. We appreciate you. We encourage you with no expectation of anything in return. Why do we do all of this? Because eventually we will have Christ-like sufferings that we will bear with one another in community. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 27 to 34. This is where David has made his great escape. And he has, he, has, he has run away from Saul's palace because Saul was threatening his life. And on the second day, the day of the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, and here's the moment. David earnestly asked to leave me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Jonathan lays it all on the lines. I'm siding with David here. And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? 
and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send him and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. You're Jonathan. What are you feeling at this moment? I have sided with the covenant. I have decided, and, and look where this has brought me. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Jonathan would carry David's shame for the rest of his life. He would be known throughout all the kingdom as that disgraced prince who sided with that rebel David. And he would carry that all the days of his life. I want you to think about this. I'm going to pull back the story a little bit here. Let's recap. This son of a king who gives up his rights to the kingship for the sake of a sinner. This future murderer, this future adulterer, David, and this son of a king gives up his life, gives up his place on the throne for the redemption of this sinner so that one day David might have a place at the table in the kingdom. He endures his father's wrath and he endures David's shame and sacrifices his life for the sake of David. Who does this start to remind you of? When we, there you go. When we covenant, we commit to be like Jesus to one another. Not just when things are going well, but in the suffering, in the trials, in the difficulties. Even embracing the shame that we didn't deserve taking on their struggles, defending their rights, pursuing justice for their name at the expense of our own name, and giving up our lives so that others may live. Jonathan models Jesus. And this is what the covenant means for all of us as we covenant with one another. Wouldn't we want a friend like that? Now, Jonathan after this, would scarcely see David afterwards. Jonathan would actually die in a war next to Saul. And it would seem like the story has an unhappy ending. But then we get to our text at the end of the story, 2 Samuel 9. So let's turn back there, because I want us now to look at this end of the story. You see, after David has ascended to the king kingdom, after Saul has passed away and David is made king, David remembers his covenant to Jonathan. And so he goes searching far and wide, looking for any of Jonathan's sons. And he finds one, a boy by the name of Mephibosheth who lives at this place called Lodabar. Now, in the Old Testament, names are very literal. Lodabar literally means no pasture. If we had to translate it, it would literally mean the land from nothing. 
And so Mephibosheth, who is lame in both his feet, living in the land of nothing, living with the disgraced name of his father Jonathan, and David pursues him. And Mephibosheth is wondering why. Why are you showing me kindness? Why are you showing me? Why would you, why would you show any regard for such a dead dog such as I? You see, all of Mephibosheth's life, you've been told, God's punishing you for this. You're lame in both your feet because you are cursed. You live in the land of nothing because of Saul and what he did, because of your disgraced father, Jonathan. And David says, "Uh uh-uh. You and your family from now on are going to live in the kingdom. You and your family are going to be restored all of the land that was taken away from you. We are going to repair and restore and give you everything. And not only that, you will have a seat at my table always. So let's recap this again. David, this king, goes and removes the shame of this son who was lame, who was seen to be cursed, who comes from the land of nothing. This great king invites this broken sinner to his table to enjoy the feast, brings him into the kingdom, and restores the covenant that the son could not complete and gives him a place at the table all the days of his life. Do you see that? Jesus does this for us. So just as Jonathan bore Christ's sufferings for David, David gives Jonathan's son Christ's glories. And he gives that to each and every single one of us today. For those of us who confess and profess Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus has covenanted with you, our great King. And he calls us to covenant with one another in community. Imagine the power of Christ's friendship and what that would mean for us as a church if we started living like that to one another today. Imagine that. And imagine the kind of spirit, vitality that, that, that it could have for the city of Orangeburg, for the state of South Carolina, for America, for the world. If the church lived out this covenant love with one another. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for your word. It reminds us what covenant is all about. Lord, though we were cursed with sin, you invite us to the table. Lord, though we bore great shame, you took on our shame for us and endured the Father's wrath on the cross so that we might live, even though we didn't deserve it. Lord, what a great friend we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask that the Spirit would move all of us here to think about how we could covenant with one another and how we can love each other just as you have loved us. We thank you for all these things in your Son's name. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back on up. Um, 
We're going to sing this song called We Will Feast in the House of Zion. And as we're singing it, imagine Jesus, our great friend, inviting us to the table to live with Him forever. Imagine the friendship that we have in Him. So let's, let's do that now. Mm-hmm.